Good morning to each of you. It's good to see each of you in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you all again for having me and my family. It is our pleasure to be here this morning. Will you open the word of God to the epistle to the, Coloss- the, the, church, of, uh, the church in Colossae, the, the epistle to the Colossians, chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 17 is where we will find our text this morning. And here the word of the living and the true God reads, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Serving our God is not just found in the four walls of the building in which the church meets. It is not simply found here, and I know that that is a, a, a common belief. I have heard it many times that the Lord is Lord of the church, but he is not Lord of outside, that there are two different, two different worlds, that there is a, a world within the church and there's the world outside of the church, and the Lord is the Lord of the church, and outside we get to do whatever we want. As we've discussed many times in Sunday school, that is not the case. The Lord is the Lord of Lords. He's the master of masters. He's the king of kings. He's the king of all the presidents. He's the king of all the elected officials, uh, all the appointed officials, all the bureaucrats, every person that's in authority. In heaven and on earth, he has authority over. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is over all things. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Serving him is not simply found here. Though the pastor and the deacon and the elder and the preacher, though they may have, they may hold specific roles to serve him within the church, within, within the confines of the institution of the local church, that is not the only place in which we serve our God. Here we're given a great exhortation. Let's examine what it is that we are exhorted to do. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed. Now this, this phrase is an all-reaching, all-encompassing phrase. It is far, far-reaching, far beyond the walls of this building, far beyond the walls of any building that any local body meets in, far-reaching to every aspect of our life. And we will examine that as the text goes uh, in that direction. But whatsoever ye do, uh, this word do is the Greek term, poeo. It is not the term for, it is not proso. It is not practice. It is not whatever you do multiple times. It's whatever you do one time. Anything you do, even if it is only one time. And just to show you that that is the case, come to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 7, we see this same Greek term used of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27, speaking of the Mosaic covenant high priest, that is a picture of the high priest to come, that is the Lord Jesus, who needeth not daily as those high priests, as the priests of the Old Testament, as the priests of the Mosaic covenant. They had to daily offer sacrifice, but Christ, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sin, which is what the high priest had to do on Yom Kippur. He had to offer up a sin for himself in the Holy of Holies, come back out, get another, get another sacrifice, go in there for the sins of the people. 
first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. For this he, and you could capitalize that he, that is talking about Christ, did once, did once, poeo. Christ did not offer himself multiple times. He did not practice the offering of himself. He did it one time. To offer him again is to put his sacrifice, to put Christ to an open shame as the book of Hebrews also states, to re-sacrifice Christ, to say his first sacrifice and only sacrifice isn't good enough. We have to have it again, is to put him to an open shame. He did it one time. That's all that's needed. When he said it is finished, there wasn't anything else that was needed. He didn't need to do it again. When he offered up himself one time, poeo, one time, John eight thirty four, Christ uses the same term. When he says, he that committeth sin, that's poeo. He that committeth, he that does sin one time is a slave to sin. Even when the child of God commits a sin, he is a slave to that sin, whatever it may be. Laziness, apathy, uh, David and what he did. Child of God. He had already been set free from his slavery. He had already been born again. He would already been described as the man after God's own heart. And yet he committed great atrocities. He was a slave to, that, to those sins. He could not do anything other than those sins. That is exactly what he wanted, and he was a slave to it. That is what Christ is referring to in John eight thirty four. But I'm using that as an illustration to show do here is whatever we do, even one time. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, word or deed this term word is the Greek term logos, and it is not referring to the second heavenly witness of the Godhead. This same term is used elsewhere. Hebrews chapter 5, there were many, many places that I could have, could have pulled this illustration, but Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, um, of whom we have many things to say, Greek, Greek term logos, things to say. And we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are, of, you are of dull hearing. You are dull of hearing. Words being spoken by the mouth. Matthew 5 and 37, Christ's Sermon on the Mount. He says, let your communication, your logos, what you speak, how you speak, be nay, nay, and nay, and your yea be yea, uh, your yea be yea. That is, don't be, uh, he's saying, don't be double-minded. Don't say you're not going to do something and then do it. Don't say you're going to do something and then never have any intention of doing it. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Let your communication be that way. What comes out of your mouth? Deed. The term, the Greek term is ergon. It's a noun. In, a, in Greek, nouns always come from the verbs, which here the verb would be ergo where we get our term ergonomics. Ergonomics, the study of the workplace to, to the purpose of maximizing efficiency through reduced stress and fatigue. You've seen the weird office chairs, how they're funny shaped and they have all these adjustments that you can do. That's for you to feel better as you're sitting at your desk. Or uh, in a factory, they have you sit in a certain posture to reduce fatigue and stress. But the, the purpose that I'm using that is, is to show that this is whatever you're doing, your, uh, your, your business, your employment, whatever, whatever action you are performing. And Thayer's, Thayer's lexicon uh, of the Greek language, its first definition of this term is business, employment, that which anyone has occupied. 
speaking of occupation, whatever it is that you're doing, even if it's just one time, whatever you do in word or deed, every word you speak, every action you do, do in, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God and the Father by him. Here we are exhorted to have our works and our words be honoring and glorifying of God in accordance with the scriptures. Do what he has prescribed for us to do, all of it. Everything we do in this life, have him in the forefront of our minds. Why, why are we behaving in that way? Why are we doing this, this or that thing? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we're given specific examples. Let us, let us take a look at these specific examples. First, we begin with wives. I, I said that this would be all-reaching, far-reaching, and, and we may not like the things that we find in the Scriptures, but unfortunately, preachers are not called to preach their opinion, to preach the things that we like to hear. Men are going to have it a lot harder than what we're about to go through, but, but there are things in here that we need to hear, that we need to walk in accordance with for our own edification and, and for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Now, I understand many have taken this to, to mean, wife, you have to submit to me. But it doesn't say, husbands, force your wives to submit to you. Notice who is to submit themselves to who. Wives, submit yourselves. It's middle voice. You perform the action yourself. You willingly submit to your husband. It is not something your husband forces you to do. And just to, just to show that that is uh, demonstrated in the scriptures, the Greek term for submit is hupotasso. Come to Romans chapter 13. This Romans chapter 13, if you're familiar with it, there's been lots of discussion about it recently because of how it regulates government, what it is that government is to do. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject. There's the same Greek term, hupotasso, unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. If you continue reading, you'll see what the government is here to do. The government is not here to regulate conscience. They are not here to regulate what you must believe and, and how you behave in accordance with, or, or excuse me, what you believe about the scriptures. They are here to regulate conduct. They are here to regulate conduct. Reward the good and punish the evil. That is their purpose in this life. Now how, remember who Paul was living under? Caesar, Rome. He's not saying Caesar and Rome is the perfect definition of this. He's saying that this is what government is to do, what they're supposed to do. They should be supporting the scriptures. Uphold, uh, they should be upholding the scriptures and walking in accordance with them, punishing the evil and rewarding the good. That is their purpose. They are not to enforce conscience, uh, but to enforce conduct. And when they are not doing that, when they are rewarding the evil and punishing the good, making laws that restrict righteousness, making laws against the scriptures but rewarding those who walk in accordance with evil. Did Daniel follow in accordance with those wicked laws? What about the three Hebrew children or the Hebrew midwives 
or, or many of the Christians of the past. They did not walk in accordance with those wicked laws. They did not walk in accordance with laws that restrict righteousness. The, the, even the apostles said, we must, we must obey God rather than men. So th- taking all of that into account, we would never say, you must follow a wicked and unjust law. Same term for wives. And note that the text even says so. As is fit, as it is fit in the Lord. Only lawful, only lawful things. A husband cannot command his wife to do something that is unlawful. Something that is not in accordance with the scriptures. And just so you don't get this preacher's opinion, come to a parallel passage of Ephesians 5.1. First thing, we'll notice the order. Ephesians 5.21, excuse me. We'll notice the order in which these exhortations, these encouragements, these are not commands. We'll, we'll, we'll note that towards the end of the message. These are exhortations. Things we're encouraged to do, not commands. You must walk in these ways. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Before the wives, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There are times, there are things that my wife takes care of that I, that, I can, that I cannot. There are things that she does that either I don't have time or the ability to take care of. And I submit myself to her, submitting myself to her in the fear of God. She takes care of those things, and I help any way that I can. She's in charge of those things. And, and likewise, she with me. There are things that I am in charge of that she is not, that she either has, doesn't have the ability or the time to take care of, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then, wives, submit yourselves, same, same middle voice verb, hupatasso, submit yourselves, you do it yourself. Your husband doesn't make you, he doesn't shake his fist and say, I command you by the authority vested in me as your husband. Nonsense. That's not what this, what this verse is teaching. Unto your own husbands, not somebody else's. Not all men, as was taught in that day, but to your own husband. You submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. The Lord, the Lord of the church, only leads us perfectly. He doesn't ever lead us into anything, lead us in anything that is unlawful. He only leads us perfectly as the husband ought to. The, the Lord does not lead us in, in anything in an unlawful way or imperfectly, as the man ought not to either. We are all full of flaw. We are not flawless. Men, men do do that. And in those things, when a, when a man is trying to lead his wife in an unlawful way, he ought not, she ought not to submit to that. She, she has a right not to. Submitting yourselves... To your, to your husband as it is fit, as it is lawful in the Lord. The Lord, our perfect head, does not lead us in an unlawful way, and we ought to submit ourselves to him. We ought to, and men have big shoes to fill because of, because of the example that Christ gives, as we're going to get into. Husbands, we have big shoes to fill. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Here, verse 20, or verse 19, gives, gives exhortation. Husbands, love your wives. Now, let, let's, get, let's, get the, uh, uh, let's get what this term love is, agapao. Come to John. We'll look at a few examples. 
of how this term is used. John chapter 3, the most often cited verse in all of the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most often recited and memorized verse in all of the scriptures, I, I do fear it is uh, most often cited simply out of tradition. No, nobody cares to dig into the context or what this passage is actually teaching. But notice the term loved, agapao. God so loved this group of people is how the, how the term world is used. You know, there's a world that are seated in the lap of the wicked one or <clears throat> in wickedness as we see in 1 John. There is a whole world that, that Christ didn't pray for in John 17. Same term, cosmos. There is a whole, the world is used of many, of many different groups of people. It's used in many different ways. But here, this specific group of people God so he loved in this manner, agapao. It's how God loves his people, agapao. Now let's go to verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men loved agapao. Darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The same love that God loves his people with is the same love that men in their natural state have for darkness. They hate the light. They don't like the light. The light shines, the, the light shines on them. It exposes them, exposes their deeds, and their deeds are evil. They hate the light. They, hate, they hated the light. That's the condemnation that Christ is talking about. Christ is the light. And here, men love darkness with the same love that God loves his people with. Drop down to verse 35. The Father loveth the Son. The same love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that men in their natural state have for darkness is the same love that God has for his people. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, are we not? We are adopted sons of God. He loves us the same way he loves his Son. Come, come to 15, John chapter 15, and we see not only does... God love his son the same way that he loves us. Christ loves us the same way. This is my commandment, that ye love one another. Agapao. We're to love one another with the same love that God has for us, that God has for his son, the Lord Jesus. As I have agapao, as I have loved you. Christ loves us with the same love that his father loves him, that, his, that God loves his people with. This is the same love that men are exhorted to have for their wives. What kind of love did Christ have for his people? A sacrificial one. One in which he offered himself. We looked at it, Hebrews 7.27. One time, he offered himself. He gave his life on our behalf. He says, no greater, greater love hath, hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. That is a great love. Men, husbands, we have great shoes to fill. May we, walk, though, may we walk in those shoes. May we walk with a love for our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That is, uh, that is the exhortation that we're given here. And be not bitter. And be not bitter. Why, why would that have to be there? 
Men, we need to be honest with ourselves. Are we ever bitter with our wives? Are we ever bitter with them? You ever come home from work and you had a, a stressful day, a bad day, some, some type of day at work and your mind is just mush? And your wife asks you to do something and, and, and either you snap off, you, snap some, you rattle something off real quick, some snarky comment, or, or you think about it and you don't do it. That, that, but it many times can be the first reaction. If it, was, if it never happened, we wouldn't be given this exhortation. If it wasn't a thing, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be given to us. That ought, not, that ought not happen, men. We ought to love our... Christ doesn't do that to us, though we behave well worthy of that response. Christ does not. Christ is never bitter against his wife, the church. He loves us with an everlasting, a sacrificial love. Now, just so you are not getting my words, come, to, come back to Ephesians 5, and we'll see what a, a parallel passage teaches. If you haven't noticed in your own study, there is lots and lots of parallel between the epistle to the Colossians and the epistle to the Ephesians. And this is just one of them. Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives... Same, same Greek term, agapao, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It's exactly what, what we noted in the gospel according to John. He loved us with a sacrificial love, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, having spot, having, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man, here's the explanation as to why that is the case. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Do you know a man that hates himself so much that, that he will despise even his own flesh? I don't know of any men that, that think of themselves in that way. In many cases, it's the opposite. They love themselves too much. They put themselves on a pedestal. Men, we ought not to do that. Husband and wife are one flesh, we're told. And, we're, and we'll get to that. Even as the Lord the church, he loves, he cherisheth, and nourish, nourishes the church. It's dear, near and dear to him. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. He doesn't hate himself. He has, he has a proper self-love, as we all ought to. Christ doesn't think of us below him. He cherishes and nourishes us. We are his body. We are his flesh. We are bone, flesh of his flesh and of his bone. And we're about to get a, we're getting a citation, a reference to Genesis chapter 2. For this cause shall man leave his father and his mother... Note, note that, not mother and mother, not father and father, not father and father and father, and not mother and father and mother. Two, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Christ loves us that way. We are his flesh. We are bone of his bone. Just as Adam said of Eve, she is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He loved her with a sacrificial love. What he should have done is what the second, what the last Adam did. 
the first Adam, when Eve ate of the tree, he should not have also partaken. He should have gone before God, fell down before him and said, take me, not her. She deserves to die for what she did, but take me instead. And that is exactly what the last Adam did. He did not partake. He did not eat of the tree like we did. He did not commit sin like we did. He became a sin. He became a sin offering on our behalf. He fell before God and said, take me, not them. This is a great mystery. Something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. Mystery, mysterion, many times in the New Testament, all but one I can think of. And that is the mystery of God in flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. That is a mystery that has not been revealed, how exactly that occurred. But this is a mystery that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament that is now revealed. What is the purpose of marriage? Why, why, do, why does husband come together with wife and become one flesh? This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We, the, lo- the, the institution of the local church, is Christ's wife. He gave himself for it. He gave himself for his people. That they might be one. That we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He cherishes and nourishes us just as we are exhorted to do of our wives. The same thing Christ did for his people is what we are exhorted to do, husbands, for our wives. Marriage is a picture of Christ, of Christ's union, Christ's union with his church. Men, we have large shoes to fill. Something to to keep in mind as we walk in this life, as all of this is. But it doesn't stop there. We get to children. Next. Children. Verse 20. Obey your parents in all things. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. A A parent that walks in the ways previous will be leading their children. Children, are foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I can, I can second that, not only from, from my own personal experience as a child, but my own children behave in that way, and my parents are here as a, as a third witness of, of what that may be if you're curious as to what foolishness being bound in the heart of a child is like. We've examined before that nobody here taught their child to lie. Nobody here taught their child to disobey. We don't have to teach those things. That comes naturally. Disobedience comes naturally to children. We have to teach obedience, teach uh, them to walk in the ways that we set before them. And here the exhortation is given. Children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing. This is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Ephesians, again, another parallel. Ephesians 6.1, children, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, or this is righteous. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Of the Ten Commandments, it's the first one that had a promise. All the other ones were uh, uh, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. You shall have no, no other gods before me. Uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Those, those, there was no promise, particular promise. You walk in God's ways and he'll bless that. But this is the first one that has a particular promise tied to it. It's the first commandment with promise. That it may be, and here is the promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. You want to have a good life, children? You want to to not walk through life fighting 
and, and uh, full of anger and, and spite, obey your parents. Your parents know what you're going through. They've been there. They know what it's like to be a child and a teenager and, and even a young adult. They know what that's like. I'm grateful that I learned that lesson. I may have learned that lesson the hard way by joining the military and that basic training. I learned that lesson the hard way. But I learned it, and I'm thankful for it. And I thank my parents for how they, how they raised me. Children, obey your parents, and you'll, you'll be grateful for how they raise you. You'll be grateful for what they're doing, doing uh, in, in your life as well. And this, again, we get another exhortation. Now to fathers. Fathers. Let me find my place there. Verse 21, there we go. Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Anybody ever lose their temper over something that they shouldn't have with their children? I can admit to that. But I ought not to have. Here's a, here's a verse that specifically says so. Do not be angry with, with children. Provoke them, provoke them not to anger. How you're going to provoke them to anger is not, having, not being gracious towards them. They're children. They, they, many times my, my children want to help me do something, and I've, and I've, I've just got to get this done really fast. Please just let me do it. That will make them eventually that same, that same response over and over and over. They'll learn not to ask daddy if there's a way that they can help. Something, something an experience that I have had in my own life, you can, you can find application for that. Do not provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. They will eventually become discouraged, whatever it is that they're trying to do, trying to help you in, in some way, trying to be big like daddy they will eventually become discouraged. Let, uh, let, them, let them learn. Let them walk with you as you're doing whatever it is that, that they would like to, uh, like to observe or help with so that they do not get discouraged. We are given uh, the opposite thing to do. Don't, don't do this, but do that. Come, to, come back to Ephesians. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers... Provoke not, or be patient with your children. Do not provoke them to wrath, but bring them up. A contrast, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The, the paideia, the full-orbed instruction. I know we looked at that recently. The full-orbed instruction of the Lord. Every aspect of it. Not just, not just, reci uh, not just teach them... Uh, to memorize a verse, but teach them what it means, why you do things the way that you do them, why the scripture says what it says. Catechize is the marginal reading in Proverbs, is it 25 two, train up your child in the way that they should go? I can't remember the exact verse, but the train up your child in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not leave it. That train up, the marginal reading is catechize. Now, we don't like that term as Baptists because, because the Romans have taken that. But catechize. Cause them to know it inside and out. Who, what, when, why, where. Why would they do that? Who is doing that? Cause them to know these things. Teach them why, why they need to know that. Train them up in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not leave it. Give them the full-orbed uh, teaching and instruction of the Lord. 
And that, here the exhortation is given to fathers, but to do that most effectively takes two, a father and a mother. It takes two to effectively accomplish, accomplish that task. If the Lord has given just, just one of those, father or mother, it can still be accomplished. God gives grace for the, for the day. He gives grace to accomplish the tasks that he has given us, that he has prescribed for us to do. Servants, dropping down to verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. This, the Greek term behind servants is douyos. It, it, it does mean slaves. Here he is talking to slaves, but here in our modern context, we don't, we don't, there is slavery still in this world. Don't, misun, don't, don't misunderstand. The slavery did not just occur in, in the antebellum south of America. Slavery is still active today. There are, there are uh, nations in this world. China has slaves. They don't call them that, but they keep them in concentration camps. They're no different. There are nations in this world that have slavery. It is still in our world today. But I am thankful that it is not here. There is a reason why it is found in the scriptures as regulated as opposed to unregulated. But it is not consistent. It is not consistent with Christ setting us free from the slavery to sin, which we'll look at tonight, if you'll join us tonight. Christ, our Redeemer, he sets us free from the slavery to sin. It is not consistent for Christians to own own other Christians in, in the manner of, of slavery that is described in that manner. But here, that was the case. There were slaves in the, in the church in Colossae, and they were Christians, so were their masters. They'll, they're not going get to off, get off the hook. They still have, they have an exhortation here as well. But in our modern context, this would apply to employees. Do you work for somebody? You have a client? You have a customer that you work for? Here's an exhortation for you. For even for myself. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Your manager, your supervisor, the one, the one who has charge over you, obey them. Do, do what they say. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Don't do it just when they come around. You know anybody at work that uh, is, is uh, fooling off until the boss comes around? Ooh, then I got to look busy. I've known some people that will walk around with a folder so that they look busy. Nobody bothers them because they look like they're on a mission. They look busy, but they're not. That's eye service with men pleasers, as men pleasers. I've known some that when, when their counterpart calls in sick, they call in sick because they don't want to pick up the slack. So somebody else has to pick up both. Eye service as men pleasers. Obey, obey your, your masters, those that have charge over you according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart. Not doubleness of heart. Don't, don't do it just when they're around, but when, when they're not around, you're, you're fooling off. That's the exhortation that's given. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have fun in the workplace and all, and all of that. That's not, not what he's talking about. But, sir, do your job. Do your job well. 
in singleness of heart, fearing God. You do still do this job before the Lord. He is the master of your workplace. And we'll see that when we get to the exhortation for masters. And whatsoever you do, whether, whether it's trash man, whether uh, uh, you're, a con- you're a construction worker of some type, whether you work in an office, whatever it is that you're doing, do heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Our society has, sets different jobs on different pedestals. Oh, you're the lowest guy on the totem pole? We don't really, that job's not important. You're the, C, you're the CEO? Yeah, that, job, that job's really important. That's not what, this verse teaches the exact opposite. Every job, God made the economy. Every job is worth doing heartily as unto the Lord. Every job. Every job is important. Not just some. Every job is worth doing as unto the Lord, even being a slave. Even doing whatever it was that your master had you doing as is fit in the Lord. Knowing, here's, here's why, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve, not, not your master according to the flesh, though you serve them. I work for my manager, I work for my supervisor. But who am I actually serving? The Lord Christ. I'm serving the Lord Christ in what I do. Because my service to him isn't just found in these four walls. It's found out there. I serve him. We serve him every day. We do all things. We ought to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. But he that doeth wrong, masters that would not do the right thing, managers that are not managing in accordance with the scriptures, but man is seeking to push their own agenda opposite of the scriptures. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there's no respect of persons. Slaves may have thought, there's, there's nothing. You know, I've got, a, I've got a, 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 a non-Christian master who treats us poorly. There's nothing I can do against him. There's no help for me. God's not going to save me uh, from what he's going to do. God isn't going to punish him because he's the master. Here, there is no respect of persons. It doesn't matter whether you're a master, you're a manager, a supervisor, low man on the totem pole. God doesn't have a respect of persons. He will render to whom wrong is due wrong. He will take care. He will take care of that. Here's the exhortation for the slaves to look to God to take care of them. Same with us, employees, low on the totem pole. Look to God. If you're being mismanaged, look to God to take care of of you, for they will receive for the wrong which they have done. God takes care of that very thing, and that's exactly what we're told in Ephesians 6. Parallel, parallel passage. I'd, I show you both of these so that you know it's not just my words, that this is found, that this is found elsewhere in the scriptures. 6, Ephesians 6 and verse 5. Servants, same term, duyos. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. There was once a shoemaker who made fantastic shoes, and he was asked, why, and he made it for a reasonable price, why do you do this? Why do you make every shoe the way that you make, you make every shoe? And he said, because I act as if, I'm, as if the Lord is standing there and I'm handing that shoe to him as if the Lord was his customer who, who bought his shoe. He, does, he, did it, he did it as unto Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. 
with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, we're given the opposite, with the wrong that any man doeth, but here we're given the good. Whatso good any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the, of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. There is no respect of persons with God. He will take care of his people. He will, see, he will look after them. He cares for us. As we saw, he cherishes and nourishes us as his own body. We are his flesh, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Every job is worth doing as unto the Lord. Take pride in that. Take pride in your work, for you do not serve men but the Lord Christ. And we come finally to masters. Chapter 4 in verse 1. Now, there's, uh, chapter and verse are not original to, to the text. Chapter and verse were given later for, ref, for our reference by, by men. These are not inspired chapter and verse separations. Here, the context continues. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Now, we don't have slave masters in our country. We understand how this would be applied in our modern in our modern context, employers, empl uh, managers, supervisors. You have people under you that, that, that you're in charge of. Here's, here's your exhortation. Give unto your servants that which is just, that which is just and equal, knowing that ye have a master in heaven, your manager, your supervisor, your Lord, your king of kings is in heaven. You may not have anybody above you. You may be the owner of the company but you still have a master over you that you are held accountable to. He, he holds those, ma those masters, those employers, under his authority, and, under, uh, and he renders unto them what they are due. Ephesians 6, we, we catch the parallel passage. Ephesians 6 and verse 9, And ye masters, do the same. Do the same things unto them, forbearing or putting off, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Putting off threatening. Does Christ ever threaten us? See, threat, I'm going uh, to fire you. I'm going to kick you out of my family. You're going to be unborn again. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. He does threaten us, but it is, it is a righteous, I will put out your candle, as we'll get to in the book of Revelation. But it is never, you will, you, salvation can't be lost. It is never with a loss of salvation. It is maybe with a, with a temporal chastisement, with, a, with an earth, with a chastisement in this life. See Ananias and Sapphira? Those were Christians. Acts chapter 5, yet the Lord takes them home because of what they, of what they did. They lied. They lied to God. And he, and he says, you, you need to, your, your parent, were you ever behaving in a way that your parents yanked your arm and said, we're going home? I'm sure my parents did. I can't think of a time. But I'm sure that they did. That's what God did with Ananias and Sapphira. But that wasn't, that wasn't the type of threatening that's, that's being discussed here. Putting off threatening. I'm going to fire you. If, if whatever they did is worthy of firing, then fire them. Don't threaten them with it. Whatever, whatever is just and equal, give to them. Masters, managers. Do the same thing unto them, putting off threatening. Why? Because your master is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him.
He is over you. Remember who we serve. We serve the Lord Christ and not men. Now, I just remembered as I get to this part of the message, I forgot the title. I forgot to tell you the title of the message, The Blessedness of Productivity. Doing what we've been called to do. And here is the blessedness. Here's what we've been exhorted to do, how we are productive in the eyes of the Lord. And here is the blessedness. We're exhorted to walk in his way. We're in, we're in the epistle to the Ephesians. Why are we exhorted to walk in his way? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. We've, we've noted before Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about what... Sorry, that sounded like a whistle, like you need to hurry up. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, all the state we were in, what God purchased us out from under. We were dead in sin. and We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But Christ redeemed us from that. For by faith are you saved, or for by grace are you saved, through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We've been, we've been saved by the grace of God. And, and we're Israel, and Jew and Gentile alike. We're on equal standing. We're all, we're all guilty of sin. And those for whom Christ died, he, he redeems out from the bondage of sin. And, and, and all of those things, all because of what Christ has done for us. Then we get to chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, I therefore, because of everything that came before, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, he is a, he is a prisoner at this point in time in Rome, beseech you, beg you, implore you. It's not a besiege, he's not commanding. He's begging, he's humbly begging these Ephesians, to do this, that ye, that you, beseech you, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. I humbly implore and beg that out of love and devotion for what Christ has done for you, you walk in his way. We're always exhorted, encouraged to walk in the ways of the Lord. Never commanded that thou must do this. We've been given a new heart that desires to do those things. And here's the exhortation to fulfill that desire. The blessedness comes in John chapter 15. Will you turn there with me? And I'm almost finished. John 15, in verse 4. Christ has given us a promise here. Abide in me. As we sang this morning, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. Branches off by themselves, they don't produce anything. You, you chop the branch off the vine and there's no fruit. Christ is that vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without Christ, we have no fruit in our life. No biblical, no biblical fruit in our life. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there is a, 
Christ is, the, is God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. We are all also sons of God. Yes, yes, even you women, you are considered sons of God. Christ is God's Son in whom he is well pleased. It is because he kept his commandments. He did what, what, uh, what his Father commanded him to do. Now these Christ's commandments are, as we've noted, given in exhortation, given in encouragement, not thou shalt do this. That's what was given in the Old Testament, and no power to keep them. They must keep them under their own power, under the Mosaic Covenant. It wasn't about salvation, it was about temporal blessing. Will they walk in his ways under their own power? They couldn't, and they wouldn't. We, we note that from, uh, from the Old Testament, but given in the New Testament is power to walk in those exhortations, a desire to walk in those exhortations. He kept his Father's commandments, and these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Why did he give them to us? Do you want joy in this life? Do you want to walk around walking in the flesh, being depressed, being uh, like those in this world without Christ, not having fulfillment? Christ is where we find fulfillment. Walking in his ways is where we find that fulfillment, where we find purpose in this life. You want your joy to be full? You walk in Christ's ways. That is why he gave them to us. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. May we walk in his ways, whether we be, whether we be father, mother, child, husband, or wife, or employee or employer. May we acknowledge the Lord and recognize that we are not serving men, though we may be serving men, but that we are actually serving the Lord Christ in this life. May we do all things Acknowledging that, doing all things heartily as unto the Lord, doing all things in his name, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. Let's bow before him. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it provides for how we're